a discipline of scripture, a discipline of prayer. And then today we're going to talk about a discipline of fellowship. And I want to share, anybody know Barna? You guys familiar with Barna, the Christian research? Nobody. Hands are allowed to raise in church. There's no glue holding your elbow to your hips. Like Barna, they do studies on the church and on the state of the church. And one of their stats that they came, I think it was two years ago, they did this study and it blew my mind. But it also helped me understand a lot of what I think I see in the church. 56% of regular church going, Bible reading, Jesus believing, 56% of Christians said, my faith is private. Like, I, here is the statement, is your faith meant to be private? And 56% of Christians said, yep, absolutely, my faith is meant to be private. That's wrong. I, I, I don't know any other way of saying it other than that's wrong. But what that tells me is that the majority of Christians are missing out on a fundamental understanding of what our faith is meant to be. And especially we see that, I think, reflected in a discipline of fellowship. Because these first two disciplines that we've looked at, Scripture and prayer, you could make the argument, now I think we've established using Scripture the opposite, I think we've established using God's Word that Scripture is both personal and corporate and meant to be engaged in personally and corporately. I think we've done the same for prayer. But you could maybe hold on to this claim that, okay, no, that's still just private. What we're about to look at is really the intentionality that God created for fellowship in the lives of the believers. And so subsequently, we must ask ourselves, am I disciplined in pursuing fellowship? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your holiness, your worthiness. God, we, we want to see you lifted up. May this be all about you. It's only if your voice speaks that any of this will have meaning. It's only if you open our ears to listen that it will have impact. So, Lord, teach us in this time. Hide me, get rid of me, quiet my voice. Lord, may you be glorified. Mature us in our faith. Take us deeper. Make us like Jesus. Sanctify your bride, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so to begin this conversation, we have to, we have to set some parameters. We've got to establish some, some guidelines, some ground rules. So we're going to talk about two things. And this first one, I'm guessing you've heard, I know I've said this word, I don't know, a dozen times. Ecclesia, probably even more. You know, when you hear the church is not the building, the church is the people, and everybody points to ecclesia. Absolutely. Ecclesia means an assembly or a congregation. And you see this in Scripture used in a wide range an ecclesia can be a fellowship of all believers for all times. You see that in Ephesians 5, Hebrews 12, that ecclesia, church, when you read your Bible and you see the word translated church, it can be referring to all believers ever. It can also be referring to believers in a whole region. You could talk about the ecclesia of Ohio. It can be talking about believers in a whole city. We could then say, okay, well, now we're talking about the ecclesia in Mansfield. Or the context that we most likely use it in our day-to-day -day life is a local gathering of believers, a local body, right, who meet in one place together. They live approximately close and this local, this is the smallest context. And you see you've got scripture references for all levels of how this word is used. Ecclesia, an assembly. That's what church means. And we say we know this. If I'm being honest, there have been times in my life when I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know that. 
and I've dismissed it. But the real question is, okay, does our behavior reflect that we know this and understand this and take this seriously? Because when I talk to people, and I, I talk to them about a commitment to a church, the important, I mean, and I'm not even just talking about right here, when I talk to right, friends who know I'm a pastor and they'll call me with a church question or something, when I talk to believers, the number one reason I hear as proof that yes, I understand church, I am committed to church, I take this seriously is I'm there every Sunday morning. That's the number one reason I hear for proof is why I am committed to being the ecclesia, is I am physically there every Sunday morning. Okay, great. That's awesome. I love it. I love seeing you all. I love interacting with you all. How are you serving on Sunday mornings? We missed your pre-service prayer on Sunday mornings. When was the last time you made a friend? When was the last time you talked to somebody new on Sunday? When was the last time you had somebody over to your house for lunch after a Sunday service? We missed you at the Saturday workday where we served the body. We missed you at the weeknight Bible study, at the, men's, at the men's breakfasts, at women's nights out, at women's retreats, at men's retreats, on the softball team. We missed you at all these things. Are you, are you following up with people every week like we ask you to? Uh, no, 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 no. All right, are you really committed to church or are you committed to an attendance record? we got to ask ourselves, if our definition of church commitment is I am physically here every Sunday morning, can we really say we understand church if that's the extent of our commitment level? Let's play a little exercise. What am I describing? Am I describing going to a movie or showing up to a church service on Sunday morning? My wife and I, we plan. We want to be there. What time does it start? Okay, we'll arrive within five to 10 minutes. When we get there, we'll go right to our seats, pull our phones out, just wait for it to begin. Oh, hey, I see somebody I know across the room. I'll wave and smile to them. Then it starts. I laugh when I'm supposed to laugh. I nod my head when I'm supposed to nod my head. I ooh when I'm supposed to ooh. Then it ends and I quickly leave. I'm not there to you know, talk to people. I, I immediately head back to my car to go home. Was I just describing going to a movie or going to a church service? I think for a lot of us, it's interchangeable. There's no difference in us going to a movie or going to a church service. Yeah, yeah, I'm committed to church. We get there, you know, maybe we're a little late. Maybe we are early, but we still, we're going to go right to our seats. We're going to pull out our phones. We're going to wait for it to begin. As soon as it ends, we're back in the car going home. I mean, that's how I act when I went to see the Avengers movie last year. Guys, that can't be our engagement with church. Because when we all gather at the movie theater, if I go to a Browns game, if I go to a Cavs game, an Indians game, there is an ecclesia of people. There is an assembly of people congregated together in one place for one unified purpose. There's an ecclesia. So ecclesia cannot be the extent of our awareness of what it means to be the church. There's another word that we must know as well. And that is koinonia, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Scripture uses ecclesia to describe the church, literally translated the church. Then they use koinonia, then scripture uses koinonia to describe fellowship, the fellowship of the church. And this word koinonia literally means partnership. It's literally partnership. Joe, would you do me a favor? Stand up. Everybody else stay seated. 
In fact, just to really make this clear, I'm going to sit down too. I want you to partner with the other standing people in this room. How? He's the only one standing. You can't partner on your own. Koinonia, literally partnership. It's contributory help, participation, sharing, and communion. There's an exchange. There is a relationship beyond I smile and nod across the room at you. It's a spiritual fellowship. Fellowship is not an event. Fellowship is not a place. When it says that the early church, the ecclesia, was devoted to koinonia, it's talking about people who were devoted to one another to the lives of one another, to an engagement with one another outside of a routine hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. This is what it means to be disciplined in fellowship, to pursue koinonia. Who brought you, let's, let's take another mental break, quick pause. Who brought you to Community Bible Church? How many people, hands up, again, your elbows aren't glued down, a family member brought to you, an uncle, aunt, grandparent, parent. How many people brought you to Community Bible Church? Family. All right, cool. How many friends? A friend, somebody you knew from another church, from school, from work, whatever. A friend brought you to Community Bible Church. Google. How many people Google brought you to Community Bible Church? I would respectfully submit to all of us who raised, and I would raise my hand in the second category. A friend brought me to Community Bible Church. Slash Google. Respectfully, Sam, you yourself are wrong in that answer. Respectfully, you all are, you're partly right. We're partly right. When we say that a grandparent, a parent, a friend, an aunt, an uncle brought us to Community Bible Church, if it were a test, I'd, I'd give it a 50. 50%. This is where the church comes from. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, Jesus is speaking. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of much glory, of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Talking about God's house, Jesus has been identified as the builder of God's house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Who brought you to Communion Bible Church? God. Who placed you in those seats? The Holy Spirit. 
Who looked at the people of Mansfield and handpicked whom he would assemble to be Community Bible Church? Jesus. If we do not understand this, if we do not understand that we have been deliberately placed here by God and that the person sitting on the opposite side of the auditorium has been deliberately placed there by God, if we do not wrap our minds around this and internalize this truth, then it is so easy to dismiss the koinonia of the ecclesia. If I don't believe that you and I have been placed here deliberately by God for a specific purpose in advancing his kingdom, then it is easy for me to dismiss my fellowship with you. Because it's arbitrary. Well, Mike and I aren't here for a specific reason because Mike has been through what I'm about to go through and I need to lean on him. No, Mike and I are here because of random chance. So my fellowship with Mike's not all that important because it's just random. I mean, how many of you say you have fellowship with the person at the checkout line next to you at Kroger's? So if we don't understand that Jesus has deliberately crafted his church, that the Holy Spirit is assembling us as a body, as living stones being built up, if we do not wrap our minds and our hearts around this, then it is far too easy for us to dismiss being the fellowship and being devoted to it. And we're not doing real well at this. And this is not a COVID problem. This is not, oh, well, the church was just all-star, man. And then COVID happened. We can blame everything on, on that one year. Stop blaming one year. This is not a president's problem. This is not a generation's problem. Well, that generation's just stuck in their ways, and the middle generation's distracted, and the younger generation doesn't care about we're going to look at that this is a decades-long, every-generational problem. In 20 years, in the last 20 years, church membership has dropped by over 23%. Quarter-less people see no point in belonging to a church body. Over the last 20 years, elders engaging with the church, and none of these stats have to do with dying off or birth rates or anything. This is all about the people who are living. What percentage of them engage with the church? Over the last 20 years, elders engaging with the church have dropped 14%. Boomers have dropped 13%. Gen X has dropped 5%. Millennials have dropped 7%. There's not a generation that gets it right. There was a study in late 2020, and they asked churched Americans, and the definition of churched Americans is they've attended a church service twice in the last six months. So all of you, I don't see any brand new face. So all of you would be a churched American. They asked church Americans, what is your preference? Do you prefer to gather in person as the body? Only 52% said yes. 48% of churched Americans are like, yeah, getting together, who cares? This is not my priority. We're not doing this well. And I wonder if it's because we don't understand koinonia as compared to ecclesia. The early church, the early ecclesia was devoted to the fellowship, to the koinonia. Are we the same today? And before we dismiss this, this is just numbers. This is math class. Stop throwing stats out. No, this matters. This is a study that literally came out Wednesday. Like This is the newest possible data that I've had access to, that I've seen. And I apologize, I thought the number, the, the descriptions would translate better, they didn't. So this is the impact of a community of discipleship. So this was a study done on Christians. 
And when they, when they did this study on Christians, they defined Christians as not Catholic, not Mormon, not Jehovah Witness. So this is Bible preaching. Jesus, this is Christians. And they asked them, okay, this is about engagement with a community of discipleship. So the blue are believers who say, yes, I am engaged with a community of discipleship. I am engaged with a community, engaged, the key word here is engaged. I'm engaged with a body of believers. The orange are Christians who anonymously can truthfully admit, yeah, I'm not engaged with a body of believers. And they gave them three statements. And they asked each group, do you agree with this statement? Is this statement true in your life? The first statement on the, the far left, my relationship with Jesus brings me deep joy and satisfaction. That orange bar, believers who are not engaged in a community of discipleship, only 30% said yes. 30% of believers said, I cannot agree with the statement that my relationship with Jesus brings me joy and satisfaction. My relationship with Jesus impacts the way I live every day. The not engaged Christians said 26% yes. A quarter, a quarter of Christians who are not engaged with a local body of believers said, no, I, I don't agree that my relationship with Jesus impacts the way I live. Or I'm sorry, a quarter said I do agree with that. Three quarters said, no, that's not true of my life. I am re-energized when I spend time with Jesus. Again, 26% of not engaged believers agree with that statement. Seems to me like Jesus designed us for fellowship. You compare that, I mean, you can see the gap. On the first one, it's 65%, 59%, 59%. You can see the difference that engagement with a community of believers pursuing discipleship makes in our lives. So maybe, if you heard those three statements and one of them resonated with you, I can tell you this, Jesus hasn't changed. Scripture hasn't changed. So maybe if you heard this statement, my relationship with Jesus brings me joy and satisfaction, you're like, yeah, I don't know if I could agree with that. Maybe it's time to take a long, hard look at what your level of engagement with the discipleship community really is. My relationship with Jesus impacts the way I live every day. I don't know if that's so true. Jesus hasn't changed. His standards haven't changed. His word hasn't changed. Are you plugged into a body of believers? Or are you just committed to an attendance record and deceiving yourself? It's pretty clear that Jesus means us for relationship. And why do I say that? Sam, that's just a study. I don't discount that. That's, I mean, that's people being honest. But way more important than what a study shows is what Scripture says. And I believe Scripture is abundantly clear that within God's plan, within His holy design of the church that He is assembling, that He is building up, we are meant for one another and we are meant to need one another. Consider these passages. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. I love that line. Your opinion doesn't change truth. I hate to break it to you. You're not that powerful. 
A hand can't say, oh, I'm not part of the body. No, it still is. You just have the wrong perspective. And the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? How many of you as kids dreamed of, I'm the pitcher, game, game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, full count, and a strike, and I'm the hero? How many of you were like, oh man, I, just, I dreamed of being the DH who came in in the fourth inning and bunted to advance a runner one base? Everybody wants to be the quarterback who throws the touchdown pass. How many of you were like, wow, I, just, I really dreamed of being the right guard who just for an entire game got in the way of a large man very angry at me? No. We need the eyes. We need the ears. We need the hands. We need the feet. Why is it perfectly assembled? Because Jesus is the one doing the assembling. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. We just looked at three different passages that said the Holy Spirit built the body, Jesus built the body, God built the body. Pretty cool Trinitarian evidence in Scripture. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I'm not a medical professional. I feel confident making this medical assertion. If my hand were cut off and just tossed to the side, a week later I could not hold it up and say, look at this healthy living body part. Medical professional back me up on that, is that accurate? I got a thumbs up from Phil. You can't cut a hand off and say this is a healthy living body part. It's just detached from the body. Consider back to Ephesians 2 and Hebrews 3. You're selling your house. You're looking to buy a new house. Normally you do it yourself, but this time you used a realtor. And the real estate agent says, I've got a perfect house for you. You will love it. You're all excited. You bundle everybody into the car. You drive over to this new lot. You show up and there's one brick in the middle of the lot. And the real estate agent's like, how excited are you for that house? How many of you are signing the deposit right then and there? No, a brick, isn't one, a brick isn't a house. A detached finger, a detached hand is not a healthy part of a living body. Scripture lays out that we have been designed and assembled by God for one another to be the body of Christ. This is a devotion, a discipline of fellowship. I mean, look at all these reasons why. Why and how we are meant for one another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Romans 1. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Romans 15. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Talking about the church. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Galatians 6, Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Philippians 1 and 2, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 1 Thessalonians 3 and 5, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hebrews 3, 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 1 Corinthians 11 lays out that communion is meant to be taken corporately. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We just, we just described sermons in corporate worship. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Why do we need the body? For guarding against sin. For picking one another up when there is sin. For gentleness, for restoration, for encouragement when we're having a tough day. For prayers of confession and prayers of forgiveness. For financial support. I mean, yeah, that's why I show up Sunday morning. If we went through that, if you go through that list with a fine-tooth comb, there's 13 verses there. By a rough count, I think two of them describe what happens on a Sunday morning. And I would say 11 of them describe what must happen outside of a Sunday morning service. I mean, how many of you? Answer, how many of you? James 5, 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. How many of you sought someone out this morning and said, Hey, brother, sister, I'm glad to see you. I need to confess a sin to you. Galatians 6, 1 through 2, if anyone is caught in transgression, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on your... Did that happen in your conversations this morning? Guys, these can't happen in one hour on one day of the week. That's not a devotion. That's not a discipline of koinonia. That's not a pursuit of fellowship. This is what Scripture lays out as the beauty and... I mean, how kind of God to give us this. How good of God to provide us this in our lives. Why would we not want this with everything that is in us? That, that's really what it boils down to for me. If God describes the church as his bride, as his body, why would I not want to pursue it with everything I have? How can I dismiss the bride of Jesus so easily in my life? It's no big thing. It's just another thing to add to the calendar. I'm too busy. I'm too busy for the bride of Christ? I'm too important for the body of Christ? I mean, what's wrong with us? 
Look at this beautiful, incredible gift that God has given to us. This seems worth my all. This seems worth pursuing. So practically, there's the theology. Practically, what will this look like? Ownership. I mean, just ownership of it. It doesn't matter what I say up here. If you listen to this and you're like, yeah, great sermon. Great sermon, pastor, on the way out the door. And then you do nothing about it? Okay, there's no point. What will it require practically to be a church that is disciplined in fellowship? Ownership. Well, I don't go to Bible studies. I don't go to prayer mornings. I don't go to women's retreats. I don't go to ladies' nights. I don't go to fill in the blank because I've been to a bad one before. That's such a terrible excuse. Hi, I'm a plumber. Oh, every plumber, man. Just a bunch of crooks. Every single plumber. Why would you say that to me? Well, because I knew one plumber one time who was a crook. I mean, we would be so insulted if someone dismissed our career because they knew someone else in that career who didn't do it well. Like, you, would be, you would be so insulted if you met someone and they were like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, teachers. What a terrible profession. That, that would outrage you and offend you. But we say, well, I don't go to Bible study because I went to one Bible study four years ago that was really weak and pointless. All right, maybe you did. Maybe you went to a men's retreat that was just dumb. Maybe you went to a ladies' night out that was meaningless. Well, then show up and fight for it. You went to a Bible study that was just tepid with no depth? Then show up and bring the depth. You attended a prayer service that was meaningless and just superficial? Then show up and fight for the depth of the prayer service. Take ownership of this. Nobody reaches out to me, Sam. It's all their fault. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you come to me and say, well, nobody reaches out to me, my immediate question is going to be, okay, I'm sorry about that. Who have you reached out to? Well, nobody. All right, well, go learn how to apply Romans 12, 13, and then we'll talk. We want the rewards of fellowship. Are we willing to do something about it? Guys, last year, I mean, simple stuff. Last year, on three separate occasions, I just challenged you to sit somewhere new and make a new friend. I I challenged you to just just switch 20 feet and talk to somebody new. I'm going to say this. I stand up here every week. I can pretty much tell you exactly where I'm going to see every single face as I look around the room. Are we really so unwilling to move 20 feet on the chance of making a new friend and having an impact on their life? I get it. We form habits. I I know. I know you're used to coming in and sitting in the exact same place. I know. That's why we're calling this a discipline of fellowship. Because it will take a concentrated, disciplined effort to break out of habits. How many of you, for two years now, we've said, read this, do this, pray this. We've done that for two years. Since I started, we've given sermon follow-up every week. About six months ago, I added a fourth one, connect. And it's been the same every single week. Reach out to one other person in the church and say, hey, what are you learning this week as you do the readings? What from the sermon have you been chewing on? How many of you have done that? I get it. We form habits. I'm not used to calling Tim on a Wednesday to be like, hey, let's talk about the sermon last Sunday. I'm going to have to be disciplined in pursuing that. But what will that lead to? Koinonia. It will lead to spiritual partnership. It will lead to a depth of fellowship that we are meant to be. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Wow, they're crushing it. You've been called to love one another, and you are doing that to every single person. I bet his next line is, good for you, put your feet up, take it easy. His next line is, but we urge you, do this more and more. Be disciplined, grow in it, pursue it. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. A discipline of koinonia, of seeking this out, not just sitting back and waiting for it to come to us. I want to hold up. Every week we've had great examples. I love it. Tim and Tracy. Moved here August, September, late summer last year. You know what they did as new people? It was just outrageous. They stuck around to talk to people after the service ended. They invited people over to their home. I, I legitimately, like, I was excited when you guys invited us over, but I was also surprised. I was like, what, are you serious? Like, you're the new people. You're, you're taking this initiative? Hey, we're new to a church. We want to be friends with this church. Let's invite people over to our home. What a novel idea. How many of us who have been attending here for seven years, eight years, 12 years, 14 years, look across this room and see a face that we've seen for seven, eight, 12, 14 years, and we've never once been like, hey, you want to do coffee this week? Practically, just take ownership of this. I mean, it's that simple. There are common excuses. Wherever I am, the church is there. Not quite. Part of the church is there. One brick of the building is there. Not the whole church. Ecclesia is an assembly. Koinonia is partnership. Let's deal with that. Oh, right, right. I get that. But like my family has four people. And you know that verse where two or three are gathered. Okay, well, one, that verse is taken horribly out of context. It's talking about church discipline, which, by the way, requires a church body. So let's start using that verse correctly. And Church in the New Testament is very clearly set up with elder authority. So I would say to your family, where's the elder authority in the church that is you and your wife and your two kids in the living room? That's not church. And look, we're not talking about I'm sick this week, I broke my leg. Like, we're not talking about attendance, okay? We are, we are not talking about I expect you to be at every single event this church ever does and you need to be the first one there. That's legalism. If that's where your mind goes, I mean, if we, if we really listen to stuff and our immediate reaction is, well, what excuse can I come up with to justify my disengagement? We've missed the whole point. We're talking about macro. We're talking about big picture. Are you disciplined in pursuing koinonia? Well, weeknights, weekends, are, are, there are time to, yeah, whatever you fill in the blank with, I can find a dozen other people that say the same thing. I, I just don't do anything on Saturday mornings because that's my day to sleep in. It's everybody's day to sleep in. Some people just made a decision to come to the church and engage with what the fellowship was doing. Well, weeknights, I don't like to leave the house. Nobody does. <laughs> come on. You, nobody's like, oh, I just worked a long, hard day. I can't wait to head back out. But some people make the decision that this is worth it, and I'm going to pursue this. We talked a lot about men's Bible study this year and how it was so encouraging to me, the number of guys who came out and engaged with it. The women's Bible study was equally encouraging to me, not because of the numbers, but because we had three or four women who said, you know what, I'm in. It is, it's so much easier to attend a well-attended Bible study than a poorly attended one. 
It's so much easier to be like, man, there are 20 guys there. I don't want to miss out on that. Do you know how easy it would have been for the women of this church to be like, I'm the only one showing up half the nights. There's only two of us this morning. There's no, like, it would be so easy to quit on that. And we had three or four women who said, no, this is worth it, and I'm going to be disciplined, even if I'm the only one. That's awesome. That's a discipline of koinonia, and I love it. I watch online services, and I watch online Bible studies, and Sam, they're better than you. I watch Charles Stanley. I watch Billy Graham online. I have no problem saying they're better than me, right? Like, so Sam, I watch their Bible studies online. Okay, well, how are you serving online? Who are you getting to know online? Who are you? I mean, you, you can't do church online. And again, we're not talking about one-off excuses. We're talking about big picture. Look at your year. Look at your life. Ownership. We either do it or we don't. We either decide to be people that take koinonia, koinonia seriously or we don't. It's about so much more than the assembly. It's about the discipline of fellowship. So we're not going to have a closing song. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray quickly. We're going to have a quiet time of prayer, of reflection. We're just stay praying by yourself, reflect, and then use the three or four minutes that we would have done a closing song and talk to somebody new. Stick around. Don't just blow out of here. Get to know the people who sit near you. Engage with one another. I don't know what to talk to them about. You have full permission to walk them and be like, that dude's crazy, right? And get their response to it. But stick around. Get to know people. And then next week you come back and you say, hey, last week you mentioned this. I was praying for it this week. Maybe you even call them on a Thursday. Let's be a body that pursues one another, that pursues koinonia. Reading, we're just going to read Acts chapter 2. We're also starting the CBC plan, First and Second Peter. Don't forget to pick one up as you leave. So we're starting First and Second Peter, but related to this sermon, just read Acts 2 this week. And then here's the do, and this one's going to terrify some of you. Reach out to someone and schedule a meal. Well, nobody called me. Great, Romans 12, 13, seek to show hospitality. You do the reaching out. I'm not saying it has to be this week. The elders and I aren't going to come around and be like, show me your calendar. But reach out and schedule a meal with somebody. You have to eat. You physically have to eat. Why not do it with somebody else, part of the body of Christ? Maybe that scares you. Okay, start with a friend. And then branch out in a month and do it with somebody you don't know as well. But seek to show hospitality to one another so we can build those relationships, we can build those depths. And then the prayer idea is, Lord, give me a heart that loves your bride. Give me a passion for fellowship. Guys, let's be disciplined in pursuing koinonia. Let's be a church. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this incredible gift that you have given us. Father, forgive me. I mean, Lord, forgive me for when I have brushed it aside. Forgive the elders and I when we, when we have brushed it aside in our own personal lives. Burden us with a heart that just pursues koinonia. Burden us with a passion for knowing one another so that we can share their burdens, so that we can rejoice together, we can mourn together, we can grieve together, we can pray together. Lord, teach us how to do this. Increase our love for one another. Father, now as we take a few moments to just sit in prayer before your throne, would you, would you speak to us? Pull our hearts where they need to be pulled. Refine us, Lord. We thank you for this time before your throne.
everyone. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.